You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music and tech and music tech. And I'm joined by two other rock, paper, scissorsers. I've got <laughs> Tristra New Year Jaeger. Hi. Our uh, writer strategist uh, and Jade Preboy. Hey, how's it going? Back again. Both of them have been on episodes of Music Tectonics in the past, but I don't think together yet. This is our first. Nope, we're, we're together at last. Awesome. That's right. <laughs> and uh, this episode, we've decided to do a news roundup. Um, we're paying attention to a lot of the news that's happening in the music tech sphere. And uh, we thought it would be a fun way to present the audio of some of the great news from some of our favorite uh, outlets and outlets that have just popped up this week and so forth. And so we've got just under a dozen uh, articles we wanna just go over and just talk about what's going on and just kinda just ramble on about them a bit for you, bring you in on the conversations of what's going on out there in the media. Um, so I think we should just dive in. Let's go for it. Let's do it. Um, now, I don't know how new this one is, but um, and it's not technically a media outlet, but Goldman Sachs put out a pretty cool um, infographic about the growth of the music space, a massive revival. Streaming turns up the beat for the music industry. I saw it on Hazel Savage's uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and uh, that was pretty cool. So I thought it was new, but then when I clicked through to see the white papers, they look like they're from the end of last year. But... The significant part is they were talking about the surge in streaming uh, subscriptions um, and growth uh, over the past, I think they're saying from 2017, with, I guess it's actually an estimate of what's coming in 2030. Um, Trista, did you get to look at this? I did look at that. And um, if we look at some recent uh, figures released by the majors, uh, looks like they earned about $19 million per, I think it was per hour. Wow. Um, of streaming. Yeah. It's a pretty significant. I think it's per day. 19, oh, per day. Sorry. I'm, I'm pulling up the Music Business Excuse Worldwide me. article titled, The Major Labels that Generated Over $1.5 Billion More From Streaming in 2018 Than They Did In The Previous Year. Thank you, Tim Ingham. Yes. $19 million a day is a pretty, um, oh, sorry, is 800000 an hour. Um, that's a pretty good, pretty good rate. Um, and it's exciting to see the continued sort of growth of the uh, revenue pie in in um, music though you know when you look at these projections you have to wonder you know can we really project linearly in a space that is so um, fraught with exciting developments um, from everything from changes to copyright regime to new technologies to changing consumer habits uh, so there's there's a lot of interesting stuff going on and I think um, it'll be interesting to see how much some of these predictions play out yeah, and um, there's some cool charts in the Music Business Worldwide piece, um, mostly b generated from data from the big three majors, um, looking at having done about uh, $6.93 billion from streaming services in wholesale revenue last year. Um, that was up by just over $1.6 billion um, that the three majors generated from streaming in 2017. So we've got the news article, and then we've got the Goldman Sachs um, predictions or projections. I don't know what they are. With Tristra's um, warning that <laughs> it might not might not be linear growth, but who knows? Goldman Sachs, they probably know that. Uh, but they were looking at uh, 2017, $30 billion generated from recorded music, $6 billion from publishing, and 
their estimate for 2030, recorded music going up to $80 billion and publishing going up to $12.5 billion. So that is basically double growth on publishing and more than double on recorded. So everyone in the music industry is applauding right now as this podcast goes out. <laughs> yeah, the streaming growth, I think in 2019, we're going to see just continuation of this massive um, growth in streaming, um, especially with companies like Spotify. Um, you know, expanding into new markets and it's easier than ever for new artists to get on online. So I think we're going to see uh, strong growth in 2019 as well. And that, I think the, the uh, strong returns that Universal saw kind of speak to that, Jade, in that they've really had a pretty aggressive international strategy in markets, too, that not everyone was looking at two years ago, mm -hmm. such as Sub-Saharan Africa. So they're um, the way they're, you know, they're really kicking butt because they have done some stuff that other labels haven't done. Um, and I think Fast Company recently featured them as one of the most innovative companies, in part because they did things like um, have, have this deal with Lionsgate that had kind of options on um, content that would be produced from their from Universal's artists. Um, so in, interesting, interesting approach to uh, sort of spreading out their um, potential revenue streams and coming up with some new ideas and new ways to use um, recorded music and, and artists as influencers or as um, whatever we want to call them as <laughs> as revenue gen generators. Um, so there's some pretty interesting stuff going on. Yeah, so we've got globalization is one of the forces leading to growth. Um, now, we will start to see at some point as the streaming services get into all the regions and all the markets that these sudden bursts where all of a sudden you have access to an extra 100 million people in some, yeah. some or a billion people in some places, um, that growth might slow down a bit. But... One of the things that Goldman Sachs's uh, in infographic, which by the way is kind of a fun little animated thing that you get to kind of interact with, um, pointed out was that millennials and Generation Z are spending spending more of their annual budgets than other age groups, which is kind of interesting. They're saying on average, um, the age 18 to 34 year olds are spending $163, um, with age 13 to 17 spending a measly 80 bucks. Those kids need to Come spend on. their allowance on more music. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then everyone uh, kind of on average is $152 a year. Um, something that intrigued me that we actually didn't put in our news roundup was that article from the Hollywood Reporter that Eric Gardner wrote, um, kind of a profile on Nick Holmston at uh, Spotify, a quote from him saying that Daniel Ek has a vision for 1 million creative artists and 1 billion users enjoying it. Our mission comes down to wanting to connect as many users to as many artists as possible. The interesting thing is that the more diverse we get, we see more engagement on the platform. And the reason I think that's interesting is if we tap out the global markets at some point and we get to the as as high as they can in the addressable market for paying subscriptions, um, then comes this other question of, well, if we put more music on there, are people going to listen more, more diversity of music? Mm -hmm. Um, will people cram more listening into their day as a result of now the subscription numbers or the subscription dollars don't change at that point, right? If users are, if the user base is the same, regardless, the number mm -hmm. of people paying and they're playing more music, the music gets distributed more diversely. The question becomes is if you have more diverse music, 1 million artists playing to 1 billion people, are more people going to pay? 
So that might be part of that is getting up to that addressable market by having more diversity, which is an interesting thing to think about because the first phase of streaming has really been about, well, let's get the bulk of it up there. Let's get the mainstream, the major label stuff, a lot of indie stuff, but we're not trying to get every single track, every little niche that's up there. And obviously there's some genres or scenes of music where, uh, they're not going to be on the streaming service. You're just going to discover through something else, vinyl, uh, mixtapes, uh, mm-hmm. SoundCloud. Uh, well, we'll get to SoundCloud <laughs> um, and so forth. So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting in, in the context of this, this growth worldwide, um, what else could be done and, and how it's going to grow. I think there's a massive opportunity there for like new types of tech like AI. So, so when um, we have, you know, you have everyone on Spotify and everyone's listening, like how do you get engagement up? How do you recommend better tracks? How do you have, you know, create, um, these listeners spending more time on the app. So I think that that's... Because even even Spotify's really excellent algorithms really choke on diversity still. I can say that as a wildly diverse listener. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to a, a wide range of music from all over the world and a lot of different styles and eras, you will get very unusual recommendations. Um, or it'll kind of throw up its hands and be like, uh, Drake? Uh, anyone? <laughs> uh, so... Um, the Drake other, everyone. Drake everyone. I guess <laughs> just just listen to Drake, please. Um, the other the other interesting point here is Spotify's um, acquisitions lately of uh, podcast groups, and their really aggressive move into that space. And so that also plays into the diversity argument that they're really really trying to get as much audio based content up there as possible. And um, well, yeah. that's right. If your audio is as engaging as television or YouTube. Uh, for a company like Spotify, you're not going to go off app to go ingest other content. Um, it's interesting to think about um, audio in that way. I mean, the music industry has really been a separate silo from audiobooks, for example. Yeah. And, and Apple's yeah. making moves to create this media subscription service that's going to have all your media in it as well, um, which is how they're going to kind of differentiate from, say, a Netflix or a Spotify. Um, but it's interesting to think about non-music audio as this category that's big enough that Spotify's like, oh, let's just let's just grab some of that market share or mm-hmm. and see it's it's really the same audience. They're just it just depends on what they're listening to at the time. As well, and you know another thing about um, discovery and and people feeling more like readily um, diving into the use of music and streaming services is continues to be this story about um, voice activated and smart speakers and that sort of thing. And we saw a piece I think Trisha you found in Wired. Yeah, it's an excerpt from a book um, that's coming out by James um, Vlaus. <laughs> I think that's his name. Excuse me, James, um, for butchering your name. But it was a, it's a really, really interesting point that I think hasn't been really considered yet. Um, and I, I really appreciated it. It was how voice computing could really change the way search functions. And because Alexa's not, well, here are 15 possible answers to your questions, which many of life's actually interesting questions require a long essay as opposed to like a one minute, a one, whatever, 15 second bullet point response. So it also it's like, play me some sad music. And what is Alexa going to pull up? Who's going to benefit from this new search format that only gives one random or carefully purchased or whatever, you know, curated answers? So, you know, if I say play me some music for for a great, you know, intimate dinner party, is it going to pull up, you know, a Sarah Vaughn track? Is it going to pull up, I don't know, minimal techno? What's what's going to happen? So I think that's a really interesting thing to think about is that actually that voice command could spread audio more broadly and have people listening all over the place but also could choke discovery pretty notably 
I, my, if I had to guess, I don't think it's going to choke Discovery. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a period where people are going to want the smart speakers to do certain things for them that they're not going to be able to do quite yet. Um, but that there's this movement towards optimizing metadata in the music industry where it's kind of like when you're pitching sync for film and TV, you got to know something about the songs that you're pitching. If you have a large catalog of songs, you might need to know how fast it is the BPM. You might need to know the mood. You might need to know that it's good for a bedroom scene or a chase scene or a parachute scene or a shootout or whatever. <laughs> Alexa, play me parachute music. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting that we've moved from um, uh, the, the desire to want like a million choices. Like say I want to go online, I'm saying I'm gonna book a hotel. You know, I want to see all the choices right there. That was the kind of the older mm-hmm. model. Now if people want to know, well, what's the best one? Which yeah. one has all the best reviews? Like, you know, you know, analyze all this data. Give me just give me the answer. But see, music is not music is so personal though. It's such, yeah. a, such a subjective thing. So somebody else really likes the the white stripes, and I do not want to hear the white stripes probably ever. You know, um, you I know, like the white. Stripes. Well, I know, I, but I don't hold that against you. But if Alexa's playing white stripes, I'm gonna be like, forget you, man. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to deal with you, Alexa. Um, but and if you like really obscure things, or if you're talking about, I speak one language and that my songs that I'm looking for, like I want to find a bunch of songs from another part of the world. Um, How is the, I mean, that search starts to get so complicated technically. Um, I don't even know, even now I find find it hard to find certain music because I don't have diacriticals on my iPhone. Um, Easily accessible diacriticals. So I can't find that track that I want. You're a music diacritic. (laughs) <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Diacritical hot take right there. Um, but so so the 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 one the one answer is really um, I hate this word, but it's problematic. <laughs> it's problematic, but I think okay. So what Jade was saying is uh, people wanted lots of everything, and, yeah. and that the Goldman Sachs report actually says that has data around that that some seventy five percent of people want a million plus tracks or whatever. And I think the reason people wanted lots of everything was because there was no way to pull out the thing they wanted at the moment mm-hmm. necessarily. But if the catalog wasn't big enough, you definitely were going to pick out pull out the right thing at the right moment. So it's now they 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 want something more specific. They want something that's more in tune to what they're doing at the moment. I think mm-hmm. all the apps we're using, all the technology we're using is trying to, you know, over time where it's evolving to adapt to what we need at the moment that we need it. Like now your smartphone will say, you're five minutes from home. Would you like directions? Well, five minutes, I think I can get there. <laughs> Let me know when I'm like two hours away, I might need directions. <laughs> but uh, but I think this is the next level. And I do think that the voice activated will get there. It'll t- it, it will take time and it won't be right every time. But you know, lots of things aren't right. I mean, you look at the uh, Google Play uh, Google's great with search engine yeah. um, results. You look at the Google Play results versus the Spotify results right now. Mm-hmm. You can misspell stuff in Google a lot better than you can misspell it in Spotify. Well, Spotify's getting better. It, it will continue to get better. Yeah. And uh, and so all these things just need to be solved as we go. They're just, you know, they have to solve the, I guess they have to solve the problems that are going to, you know, have the most impact first. But I, I, I do think that we'll get more specific. So that book is called Talk to Me by James Vlahos. The subtitle again is How Voice Computing Will Transform the Way We Live, Work, and Think. And I'm looking forward to that one. That sounds like a pretty, pretty cool read. And Trista, you also found this strategy. I think you found that one. Oh, did I? That was you, man. <laughs> strategy <laughs> analytics. Two, two, what's that? So that's all you. That's all you. Where did I find that? I think two, you, I don't know. It's a 2018 global smart speaker sales reached 86.2 million units on back of record Q4. I think you posted that because you noticed that there was a lot of talk about the ubiquity of smart speakers, that it's not just going to be an in-home device, but it could be a device that ends up in public spaces and is mm. used in a variety of ways, which... 
Um, sounds, uh, it could be really cool. I could see some cool applications. It could also be like horrifying. Like, can you imagine, you know, you have to listen to that Justin Timberlake song every time you go, <laughs> like, it's like you can't escape, like you can't escape the, or it's like music to optimize people's pace at a shopping venue. So everyone's walking to the same beat and therefore buying more. There's like some sort of biometric. No, that kind of sounds fun. <laughs> I, I, I'd be into that. Well, it's interesting because I remember when um, s- municipalities started putting cameras up for getting mm-hmm. parking tickets and just this idea that there's going to be this web of cameras. And now you see it's it Panopticon. in the spy movies all the time. Of course, there's Google Satellite, too. It's always fun to look at those websites <laughs> that have the uh, they show the people that are like jumping over a fence on Google Satellite. It's yeah. been captured forever for the whole world to see. <laughs> but now there's going to be this maybe there'll be an audio web at, in the same way at, at some point where mm-hmm. you could pick up on conversations <laughs> everywhere. So, <laughs> But the point is. <laughs> People like the accessibility of voice. Yes. And there is something good there for um, accessibility and, gen- you know, actual yeah. like disability accessibility. But also it's removing the the um, the tension, the obstacles to playing music, to mm-hmm. getting people into music. If you have to take out your phone, you open it up to open this, unlock your phone, open your Spotify app, and then you realize you've got a LinkedIn notification, an Instagram notification, and then you forgot that you were gonna play music versus you're like, hey, I don't wanna say anybody's name in case any device in the room get turned off, but hey, device, uh, play me some whatever it is, whether it's an artist or chill music to cook dinner with my loved one or whatever it is but um but the growth continues i mean that's i guess that's not really breaking news but we got statistics on that so and then um uh some more soundcloud's been putting out some more interesting news for a while that they were putting out news about the struggle and and also integration but also integrations with uh dj and mixing related hardware and some other and software like you know serato etc and now february 19th again one of our favorite outlets, Music Business Worldwide. SoundCloud is now a distributor platform launches tool for users to upload music to Spotify, Apple Music, etc. This one's interesting to me. Um, another, you know, another distributor. There's a there's a bunch of distros that have that have launched recently. Um, the big thing for me that I'm interested in is how how are they differentiating themselves and how are they helping artists brand themselves more efic- more efficiently? Um, what are those What are those extra services that they're offering besides just distribution? And, and, you know, distribution is pretty, it, it feels like an easy thing to turn on, but then there's the other side of it, which is you have to pay people. And as we've learned from some recent uh, woes and tribulations at places like Pledge Music, mm. that is not always the easiest thing to uh, to do. And and for something like a distribution model, it's way harder than a crowd a crowd fu- a crowdfunding model. God, I keep wanting to say a wor- different word instead of funding in that. Um, so the the um, it crowd fudging, <laughs> crowd funning. <laughs> so fun. Crowd surfing. Um, so so it's it's I think it's an interesting thing that it feels like distribution is an easy thing to turn on and it's really hard to execute well even if we're just talking distribution and not auxiliary services or, mm. or other artist support stuff um, and I think SoundCloud kind of explored one side like the listener or user side and said well that didn't work so let's try um, the creator side and see if there's monetization you know benefits to be found there um, and they you know we'll see what happens if that's really something that that takes and um, I think it's kind of a, a 
it's an interesting move. It'll be, you know, it's hard to predict with SoundCloud because everyone thought they were going to implode, right? A it year is, ago. Yeah. Well, the cool thing I, I think about SoundCloud, I mean, SoundCloud has a kind of a cultural weight that's different than other um, other platforms because it's so close to the street in terms of what creators are doing. Um, it's grittier. Um, there's certain genres that are really drawn to it that aren't necessarily about, <laughs> I mean, this may be their downfall, about monetization, mm -hmm. but it's really, it's really like you want to talk about long tail. There's so much stuff on SoundCloud that you didn't even know where it came from or what it is or whether it's legal or not, but it's, um, but it definitely is speaking to like a, a cultural phenomenon that's closer to the creator in that sense, which I think is their strength. And now there's still, obviously, they're making moves to figure out ways to monetize and turn it into a, a business at this huge scale. So yeah, good it, luck to SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm excited. <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing is though, if, they, if they're kind of, are they a competitor or are now they're gonna be a partner? Like how, how as Apple Music am I going to react to SoundCloud being like, here are a bunch of files. I'm right, going to probably be kind of a jerk about it and be like, These met this metadata isn't right and you have to send it in this, you know. It's not going to be and an easy relationship true, to navigate. That's true with the Spotify uh, strategic investment in DistroKid too, yep. where you say, well, hmm, Apple's going to take files from Spotify. That should be interesting. <laughs> and, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, whether you really want your distributor to be totally independent, that their goal is to, is to help you with distribution, monetization, marketing, and so forth. Okay, we should say we do have a client in this world. CD Baby is our our PR client here. So, <laughs> and, um, and the other client that's involved in this, this is a good thing to note about the SoundCloud distribution um, announcement is that it's only for original material, not for what's a, a lot of the content. I think it's about half the content on SoundCloud is are things like you know unofficial remixes, bootlegs, bootlegs, mixtapes, DJ sets, all those awesome things that people love, um, and those will soon be um, fully licensed according to. Our other client, Dubset. Um, so it'll be that's a more interesting play for me. I think that's going to be more when that kicks in. That's going to be a way more interesting development for SoundCloud than than the first sort of just we'll get random files to our competitors. And you know, it goes to what we were talking about before about diversity of content and and because you know you could say okay, so mixes and remixes are now going on. Let's say they go on Spotify, for example. So is there more money as a result of that? Immediately, you would say no. The same people are subscribing to the music. The music just gets distributed differently as a result of who's playing what. But if people who want an easy experience, like a Spotify type of experience of DJ mixes and remixes, start to subscribe at higher rates to Spotify because the content that they actually like is finally there, then there is an increase in the pool of money that's available and monetization there. So, um, <laughs> so, <laughs> speaking of crowd uh, user, uh, what do you call it? User generated platforms. We continue to follow what's going on with Article 13, and uh, well, this is from the Register in the UK. Okay, Google? Question mark. Probably not. <laughs> EU settles on wording for copyright reform legislation. Commission fumes at fake campaign. So there was a lot of. Um, I mean, this is this is this was fascinating that that um, some EU government officials basically put out a uh, medium article saying that that there was basically astroturfing that was trying to quote uh, slay the knight and save the dragon, um, and so, so there's. I mean, that's sort of a, a weird, interesting social development. But the real meat of the story is that. Uh, Article 13 has finally been agreed upon, um, and it is going to sort of set a new standard for copyright for the 21st century. Um, some of the previous um, 
uh, previous versions of copyright that are still in effect in places like our like our lovely country in the United States offer a lot of loopholes to people like Google, YouTube, um, uh, Facebook for uh, not really policing their content very well, at least from a copyright perspective. So this really puts the onus on the platform and um, will probably uh, start to you know, people are going to have to have some kind of regime of pre-screening in order to abide by these new regulations. So you can't just upload random things and say they're yours or try to monetize. Even if you don't monetize them, it's not, um, I don't, it's going to be a really interesting thing to see. There's a lot of, there's some exceptions um, for like education, satire, some other things, small snippets, but um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And I'm interested to hear what the residents are going to be here in the States. There's some conversation about some similar ideas here. Yeah, it will be, it will be interesting to see if some of the platforms will choose to try this globally from day one instead of just covering the EU because uh, it might be complicated to know a little bit about where content's coming from and going. Technically they can know, but yeah. Um, not not a hundred percent, and uh, and and what could be the repurposing that happens as a result of not knowing where the content originates from, and so forth. So that means they're going to have have to have databases of copyright in advance to pre-screen stuff, or they're going to have to, <laughs> or they're going to have to seek a license for everything that gets uploaded. Oh, let's look at this one. Let's go find who owns yeah, it. Yeah, it's just going to be way harder to upload. I think they'll have databases. It'll um, be interesting to see what 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 happens with this and how I'm sure there's there's a solution well actually Jade that's a good point like yeah. is stu- are, if there's enough roadblocks to uploading content how will this change the creator the video creator community for example will mm-hmm. people be creating as much content as freely I mean it's bound to have a bottleneck for a certain period of time there's a lot of people who are making a lot of revenue mm-hmm. um, in this way whether it's through ad uh, ad share ad revenue share or through their branding sponsorship stuff that they're kind of piping along the side of that content um, but it will be I mean that would be an interesting study to see what's the before and after when this goes into effect now of course the other thing about the EU is once you come up with this legislation each country then needs to come up with how they're going to handle it in in um, you know logistically in conjunction with the what the policy is like i said it sounds fun yeah that part sounds fun too <laughs> you guys have a good time with that but speaking of fun oh, now we're talking <laughs> for, uh this is from the verge.com fortnite fortnite showed us the future and the past of live music 10 million people tuned into marshmallow's concert in fortnite's pleasant park and it shows that music's next act is virtual according to Bijan steven that was cool did you go? Um, I actually didn't go, but um, it was it was you know it was a little bit past my bedtime. I think the live stream was like two a.m. my time, and I usually play video games until about one a.m. So that was, that was a little bit too late. But I had some friends that tuned in. Um, you know, you're in. You, there was like something like ten million people tuned in, but you're in a group. You're in a group of a hundred in a lobby of a hundred watching the concert. Um, That's interesting. It's, it's a, interesting that it sort of groups into smaller groups of users or yeah. virtual people or whatever. Well, that's kind of how the game functions normally. I think that mm-hmm. that's just maybe a technical requirement because yeah. to, to handle that massive amount of traffic, um, that's how their system kind of groups everybody. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a, it was a cool event. I mean, there was a lot of positive feedback online and nice. I'm excited for more events like this. I think that interacting in games when you're not just playing the game is a really cool idea that's, you know, it's not a new idea, but. Well, I know you think about that moment when Second Life was so popular. Yeah. Were you around then? I can't remember. That was a little bit before. No. (laughs) It was so cutting edge. I didn't have a computer yet. (laughs) And um, 
and uh, well there wasn't i mean there was i don't know that there was much musical happening there but the, there was kind of an artistic world happening there and a kind of exchange in commerce that was kind of interesting um but it was also a limited number of people and then there was the turntable.fm experience which was kind of cool it wasn't in a video game but it felt like you were interacting in a more social way with live well it wasn't live music it was DJed music but mm-hmm. taking turns DJing and stuff like that but there was we saw another news story not too long ago there was a Minecraft festival music festival inside Minecraft which I I've got a 10 year old so I, I could have I could have actually experienced that <laughs> who by the way my 10 year old does know who Marshmallow is and likes Marshmallow um, so maybe 10 million of those virtual people were 10 years old <laughs> that's no, pretty I, late though for a 10 year old I have to say I think the impact uh, the positive impact um, for stuff like this to you know draw in people who are who are maybe gamers and maybe they're not they don't identify as musicians to be really interested in music i think that's, that that's an excellent point really cool my my brother is eight years old and he's been playing Fortnite, of course with all my other brothers and then after this marshmallow concert what do i get a video of on snapchat is him djing to all the stuffed animals in the basement oh, in the in the dancing awesome. shark concert the costume wow and i was just like yes irie wants to be a dj that's amazing that's amazing so this actually makes me think of what we were taught we were we were talking about some of these articles on the way over where we were discussing that amazing new development that actually allows you via um so i guess it's sonic waves to oh, yeah uh, have a, a tactile feeling in virtual yes. reality um, and this I thought a, that basically blew my mind today when that came out an article I, yeah. an article that which one of you came up with from Android Pit by Luca <laughs> Zaninello you will be able to experience AR with your own hands thanks to Levitate yeah and this is a, a really cool EU funded uh, a sort of research uh, group that's put together this new technology and it just brings me the whole marshmallow thing makes me think of like that kind of reenacting uh, real world experiences in virtual worlds is like the first tiny baby step. I mean, mm-hmm. just imagine all the crazy stuff that you could do if you weren't limited by a uh, physical physical world, the laws of physics, your body, uh, you know, the the limitations of a venue, um, union contracts at a venue, <laughs> uh, you know, electrical uh, wiring, those kind of things that are just just kind of put a, a, a framework around it. So it's going to be interesting to see the new frameworks. There could be a whole new range of ways of experiencing music communally um, that have nothing to do with what we now consider a live experience. And um, for someone who's always felt music very in a very embodied way, like the, the thought of having a virtual way to access that is so amazing. Um, yeah. My favorite quote from that article was, I can't stand VR, but AR is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I've long thought, well, long, for well over a year now. <laughs> long, that's forever. <laughs> I've thought AR seems more accessible just because you don't need as many devices necessarily. Yeah, but. and VR is, you know, I, I, we, I just tried it for the first time last week, and um, I have to say it is uh, overwhelming. Um, it can and be a lot. It is one of those things where you put on a headset and all of a sudden you feel like you're just floating in this weird, slightly nauseating space. Um, I think people get used to it, though. Exactly. It's like cinema. There were reports of people getting sick to their stomachs in early cinemas. So or driving in a car. Yeah. So it's, uh, the struggle's real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, but I think the, there's a, an amazing opportunity for some of these companies working on this kind of like haptic technology yeah. where you can feel an, a sensation either with uh, you know sound waves or electromagnetic waves. Um, I think that's just so interesting. Well, and I, I also like going back to Jade. What you're saying was it your brother who was DJing? Yeah, was your little <laughs> brother, my younger brother. Yeah, how old he? Um, he's he's around eight years old. Eight, yeah, and so my my son's ten, and for his birthday he wanted a microphone he could plug in that he could see. 
so that he could sing using Loop Labs. He and some friends are, are, are producing tracks using samples from, and stems, I guess they're stems, from Loop Labs. Cool. And he wants, he's like, we're writing a song, we need a microphone. So, <laughs> and, and you've got a little guy who like, likes to make music in GarageBand. Yeah, it's very, um, let me say Zanakis would, would probably approve of his music, it's very strange. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, but other way, and he likes to use acoustic instruments, so they like to just bang the heck on the piano, and we have a little drum set that's been totally, it's being slowly destroyed. <laughs> uh, but, but hey, they're having fun, and they're making interesting sounds. Awesome. So meet Metronaut, an app for smartphones and tablets that could change the way you play classical music from TechCrunch by Romain Dillett. <laughs> I think Romain Dillet. Thank Dillet. you. <laughs> or it's Romain Dillet. What I don't is know. this metro not? It, basically, it's an AI app that responds in real time to your performance. So if you're playing, it's a cool. It's a cool solution actually because if you're a classical performer in training, you need sometimes an accompanist to play certain pieces. Um, and so what this does is provides a virtual orchestra. So if you are learning the violin part from a particular symphony or some, I don't know whatever piece you're playing, um, it'll jump in. And and accompany you, and it will respond to your performance. So it's not just like a thing you play a lot. It's not like uh, violin karaoke. It actually responds in real time, so you can, um, you know, really get a feel for the piece and have almost like a virtual accompanist there. I mean, speaking of kids, I mean, you can see that's an instant use case there when you've got kids who are all over the world taking their violin lessons mm -hmm. or piano or viola or whatever it is. And now it's a whole new experience. It's a much more immersive experience for them to feel like they've got control of an orchestra, which is probably why they raised $4.5 million and attracted 160,000 downloads, according to TechCrunch. So that's that's pretty cool. So we're, we got a couple more to go, jump through these. We started with the big meta news of the industry and the trends and where things are going. And we're now just we're just having fun. Now we're just having fun <laughs> getting into... Um, a little bit of just some cool things that are coming out like AI autotune autotune makes you your terrible karaoke singing more tolerable from newscientist.com by Chris Baraniak. How do I do on the pronunciation? I don't know. Uh, he's, he's, he's a, a, I don't know. We'll have to ask Chris. And so now you you know, when you start off the karaoke night, you don't have to be drunk from the beginning to appreciate what everyone's singing. <laughs> this is this is cool too, and it's. I have to give a shout out to IU. This is a, a product Indiana that University developed at Indiana University. Really, um, and the, another cool thing about it is it is also real time. So, right, you can't have a karaoke AI app corrector if, if it's like got a lag. Right. So we're starting to see instead of generative AI sort of dominating the music space or things that like mastering that require, that don't really require a timely response from artificial, from a machine learning um, setup. You can, now you can actually do it in real time. It's pretty amazing. Um, this is from Indiana University? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So for people who are listening to music tectonics for the first time and or don't know rock, paper, scissors, uh, we're based in Bloomington, Indiana. In fact, we are recording from a podcasting studio, the Shine Insurance podcasting studio at the Dimension <laughs> Mill, which is a new, beautiful um, co-working slash entrepreneurial hub here in Bloomington. So that's why we get excited when we... Maybe not. Maybe you and our listening audience didn't get excited about the fact that this is from Indiana, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, and then that kind of ties into that brain wrap one about the real time um, analytics. So yeah, brain wrap. They're basically they're trying to combine hip hop and neuroscience to to really understand what makes our brains tick and why why do we love hip hop? Why do we fall in love with the beats? Why in the lines? Why do they get stuck in our head? Um, I think there's some other companies experimenting with you know that 
that science in the education space. But um, I think these guys are just, um, I didn't actually read the whole article, but one of the things that really stuck out to me was that they're able to, dis as he's freestyling, they're able to display the brain waves in real time and everyone can kind of see it and see and see what's going on and imagine what would be going on if, you know, Tyler Quelly was, was freestyling at that time and what, what his brain waves would look like. So what is going on while you're freestyling? <laughs> well, you're making stuff up right on the fly, on yeah. the fly right. that has to rhyme and be on beat. Yeah. It's pretty hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's, there's we could try right now. Just to show how hard, <laughs> how hard it is. Some some freestyling. When there's an <laughs> AI episode. app that'll correct my freestyling, I'm I'm all for it. Did you write on beat? Exactly. So I think we hit all of the all the articles we pulled out for this conversation. We're hoping to do these uh, music uh, these kind of music tech news roundups on an ongoing, regular sort of basis, interspersed with some of the interviews and some of the think pieces we've done um, so far with music tectonics. Um, I guess, Jade, you're heading off to South by Southwest soon. What is it? Pretty yeah, soon. It's just coming up quick. And um, uh, Cheryl Woodhouse, our chief operating officer at Rock, Paper, Scissors, and Amadea Choplin at PEX will be co-hosting the Music Tech Meetup at South by Southwest. So, Jade, I'm sure people can meet you there. At definitely. Least get definitely, a little bit of the Music Tectonics, Rock, Paper, Scissors vibe there. That's March 13th, 5 to 6 at the Hilton Austin downtown in room 404. That's on the fourth floor. And one thing that I know Cheryl <laughs> and Amadea are working hard on, as we always do when we do these types of meetups, is to make sure that you're not just getting a sales pitch from anybody. You're literally going to be meeting tons of people so bring 50 or 100 business cards to this meeting alone because your chances are you're going to leave with that many business cards because um, they're going to make sure to use some fun games to get everybody to meet each other it's a great place to put faces with names and to have those impromptu spontaneous serendipitous networking opportunities as well so that's all we've got for you this week. Uh, Tristra, Jade, that was fun. Let's do it again yeah. sometime. Want to? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Keep telling your friends about Music Tectonics on all your favorite podcasting listening platforms from iTunes and Apple Podcast and Spotify and Stitcher and and uh, check out musictectonics.com to follow us, to join our mailing list, and um, to see articles that we write, because we also have some blog posts, and hear about the work that we're doing at Rock, Paper, Scissors PR Firm. And we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Music Tectonics.